Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. This one was was something that I was really wrestling with. Very much felt that God said, I want you to talk on me being judge. I'm going, I don't want to talk on you being judge. What's good in that? Like, and I wrestled, I struggled. I was like, can I just speak on justice? Because judge isn't really who God is. Judge is what God does. So can I get out of it that way? (laughs) Can I actually get around it and go, let's talk about God's justice rather than God as judge? And I squirmed and I I wiggled and I I gave up. He won, and so we're talking about God as judge, and it's a hard thing to look at. I think partly because what goes on in our heads when we think about God as judge, we squirm, we go, but I'm not worthy, like, but I'm staffed, like... Nobody likes the idea of having to stand before a judge, even in an earthly sense, little known, the heavenly God who knows all things and lays everything bare. It's a fairly unpalatable sort of thing to think that that's where we all end up before God. But as I said, it's what he does, not who he is. Who is he? Who do we know him to be? We know him to be merciful, trustworthy, kind, just, righteous, full of perfect love. If you've got to be before a judge, who do you want him to be? It's the sort of judge that you want, isn't it? Still doesn't mean we get good outcomes, but there's no need for an appeal court because you know that it's a perfect outcome. You know, I had heard it said that all theology can be found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. I thought, ha, the fall doesn't happen until chapter (laughs) 3. I've got it. I found a piece of theology that isn't there. And uh, then I saw a quote from Karl Barth that that said, actually, all theology is found in Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. (laughs) And I feel a little bit like that today, that it is such a broad topic, that it is peppered right throughout the whole of, of the scriptures about who God is and he's the judge and how he judges and the different ways that he, that plays out through the whole of Scripture. So in some ways, not just am I dealing with a, a topic that is one that I squirmed about because I went, I can't remember hearing a sermon about God as judge. And so I haven't got any sort of framework to put it in. And then it's this huge, big, broad topic, and I go, how do I do it justice? How do I bring it down to something that's small? And then I went... Uh, Okay, all theology is found in Genesis 1 and 2. Where's the first judgment that God makes? 
We get four verses in. Four verses in. Yeah, God created light and he said it was good. So judgment's not all about being bad. There's actually a positive side to judgment. There is the good and the and the separating from what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. And, yeah, this week I had to go to the doctor and I had a pair of tracheodacs on and I was going to get an injection and I knew I'd be rolling around and, and so on in the CT machine and I went, oh, I can't leave my... Can't leave my AirPods in my pocket. I'll take them out, put them aside, make sure that I don't lose them. Got home later that night. Can't find my AirPods anywhere. They disappeared. I couldn't find them anywhere. And Lyndon and, and Rebecca helped me have a l- little bit of a look. Couldn't find them. I was like, I'm sure I put them on my desk. Looked all over my desk, couldn't find them. Looked all over the house, couldn't find them. Gave up. And Later on, it dawned on me, no, I definitely put it on my desk. I went and had another look, moved things around, couldn't find them anywhere. You know what had happened? In my good order of my desk, (laughs) in my good order of my desk, in my my good intentions of actually taking my iPods and putting them somewhere safe, yeah, somewhere really safe, my love of post-it notes got the better of me. And... A post-it note had gone over the top of my AirPods. And so when I shuffled things around, it just moved with it. (laughs) And I couldn't find them anywhere. And I am so grateful for a God of order. Not the order of my desk, but God who puts all things in in good order. And in nature, can, can we have the next slide? God puts things in good order. But I look at these trees and I go, what's gone wrong? Something's gone wrong, hasn't it? Like only Dr. Zeus draws trees like that. (laughs) (laughs) In the good order of things, we see that God has a natural law, a natural way things are put, a natural thing that is right. And when things go wrong, it becomes evident, doesn't it? And so that even right down to the, the level of cells, the level of the way things grow, the, the way things are in nature, there's this aspect of God has got good order and a right way. And when things go wrong, it becomes pretty self-evident. They actually have no idea what went wrong with these trees. Yeah, they cannot figure it out. It's on some island somewhere and it's one of these strange phenomena. I sort of read about it and went, wow, that's really weird. Like something's clearly out of order. And I suppose in a natural sense we know that about our own lives, don't we? When things are out of order, God has sort of built something in us that sort of goes hey, you know that that's not right. Okay, so God is judge. Are we happy to accept that as a principle? What's his jurisdiction? The universe, all things. Through scripture, there is all sorts of things that come under God's judgment. But ultimately, yes, all things. 
but not just all things in the physical realm, includes the spiritual realm. Scripture is really clear about God will judge Satan. God will judge nations. God will judge the ruler of nations. God will judge the earth. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. In that process, he judges you and me. So what does it look like when he sits down for judgment? I want to read a passage from Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10. And this one's almost worth closing your eyes and just picturing it. Daniel's language is just beautifully picturesque in what it shows of God. I watched as as thrones were put in place and the Ancient One sat down to judge. His clothes was as white as snow, his hair like pure wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. The rivers of fire poured out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood attending him. Then the court began session and the books were opened. What a magnificent picture of the authority of God to be tended on by millions of angels, to sit in this mighty throne ablaze. Does it make you feel something inside about who God is? You're glad he's your friend. Yeah, with a river of fire flowing out from him and in a blazing throne, wheels of fire. I'm glad I'm his friend too, like standing before that. And then the reality of Romans 2.16 says, And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when through Jesus Christ will judge everyone's secret lives. Wow. It's not just what we do. It's our secret lives, our thoughts, our motives. will all be laid bare before the mighty fiery throne of the almighty God. It's rather sobering, isn't it? So when is this going to happen? When does God judge? We know his jurisdiction of all things, of all time, right down deep inside to our every thought. Well, there's two parts to God's judgment. The trees sort of remind us that, well, when things go wrong, they go wrong there and then in the moment. And then there is the great throne at the end of all time. Throughout the Old Testament, we see right from Adam and Eve, there is a consequence to their actions in the moment. They go and hide from God. God finds them and says, this is the way it's going to work, guys, from here. We see the flood 
where God says, enough, I'm going to pour out water over the earth and just bring Noah and his family through. We see the Tower of Babel where he confuses the language. One of the most standout ones, what about Sodom and Gomorrah where God puts his finger on, on, a, on a pair of cities? says, enough. In some ways you look at that and go, come on, really? Fire from heaven just on, the, on this one little city? You know, 15 years ago, they dug up that city. And you know what they found? When they first dug up the city, they went, ah, oh, it's not what we thought it was. We thought we had Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can't be. We found glazed pottery. And so they sent off the glazed pottery for testing and what they found was that it wasn't glazing like, like you know, make your pottery waterproof glazing. It was glazing that is called trinite. Now, trinite is what happens when they let a nuclear bomb off in the desert and the glass, the sand turns to glass. And you know, there's this evidence of the pottery being turned to glazed with trinite. It was above 4,000 degrees centigrade for a moment in time. And that they can um, even project the angle of the explosion that came in. And um, they said the, the explosion was so significant that as it then exploded and then created a vacuum back in, that it sucked up all this residue and matter out of the Dead Sea and brought it up and dumped it on the city. And so the biblical account of, of Lot's wife turning into salt, yeah, <laughs> this is not some story, a moral fable saying that this is why we should be scared of God or this is why we should live in, in right line of, of, of doing good. This indeed is an historical event that has been dug up and said, no, God poured out judgment on that place. God doesn't muck around about this stuff. And then we look through the, we go, oh, but maybe the New Testament's different. You know, aren't we under the time of grace? Who can think of a time where you see judgment in the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira, they're, they're Prime candidates number one and two. Any others? Found another one of Herod Agrippa. What about this little passage that I found in Revelation chapter two? You know, this is gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Just goes to show how distorted our view of God can sometimes be. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, says to one of the churches in Revelation, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and they eat food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. No kidding around, is there? Not, I will uh, t 
take her out of the picture or whatever. I will throw her on the bed of suffering. And then, of course, as Daniel's reflecting on, you know, picture of God on the, on the throne, we come to John's picture of the final judgment with Revelation chapter 20. It says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The dead, great and small, the famous people, the wealthy, the the influential, the rulers, people who were really somebody, and the small, the nobodies. Who's that leave? Everybody standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the book. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake is the second death. And anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you know how Jesus describes the lake of fire? He says it's such a bad place that if your hand leads you astray, cut it off. It's better to go through life maimed than it is to end up in a lake of fire. Or if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. I mean, he's not meaning literally, but he's saying this place is so severe that you would be better off blind through life for the rest of your life than to find your place in the lake of fire. What's the alternative? Because judgment's not all bad, is it? Unless you're on the wrong side of it. <laughs> Let me read the picture of the other side. For those who are written, have their names written in the book of life, this is what Revelation 22 says. Then the angel showed me a river with water of life, crystal clear, flowing from the throne of God and and of the Lamb. It flowed down the centre of the main street, and each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop every month and leaves used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and the servants will worship him. Lake of fire, the crystal clear river. That's the outcomes. That's where all things will end.
I know which one I want to be drinking of. <laughs> the crystal clear waters of the, the, the water of life. So to what standard are we held? God's a good judge. He's very fair. He outlines right now so you can know where you stand before him. He gave the, what's called the moral law to, to Moses, the Ten Commandments. Can we even ramble them off? <laughs> yeah, I had to look them up, don't worry. <laughs> One, have no God other than me. Bring no other God before me. Make no idols. Number two, make no idols before me. As in, do we ever make idols? Do we ever try and make God in our image rather than God in the image that he presents himself? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I struggled with this sermon so badly was I don't want to face the facts that God, who is all-loving and all-caring, is also a God who judges, that I'm going to stand bare before him and be held accountable. That's uncomfortable. I don't like that image of God. I much prefer to be going, no, God loves me and... and uh, it's just much more peaceful. <laughs> yeah, so in some ways I'm, I'm at fault for trying to create an image of God who I'm comfortable with and, rather than the one who he says he is. What's three? I, I'm going to run from my safety net. <laughs> I was trying to do today with less notes than normal. And then I realised that I turned up with more notes than I've ever turned up with before. <laughs> and I thought, ah, I've got it all in hand, but I'll, I'll have my safety net just in case. And, uh, of course, the Ten Commandments is the bit that I uh, need my safety net on. So, you shall not take the Lord God's name in vain. That's a pretty common one around, around the place, isn't it? I mean, I don't know too many Christians that are comfortable with that, but I know plenty of people that are really comfortable with that. It's just, do not dishonour God. I heard it put one way of going, you know, you wouldn't use your mother's name as a curse word because you honour her. You love her. And yet we're prepared to spit on the name of God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do we actually put time aside for God regularly? Honour your father and mother. Mm. <laughs> I think every little kid would fail that one, <laughs> at, least, at least once. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not be a false witness. That is, you shall not lie. You shall not covet the things that belong to your neighbour. And then just in case we're in doubt that, hey, we, we might actually be reasonably okay on that front. Jesus says in Matthew 5, anyone who looks at another with lust is indeed guilty of adultery. Again, just reminding us that God isn't just looking at our actions, he's looking at our motives, um, looking at it all laid bare before him. 
So what do we do with all that? Proverbs 9.10 is a passage that I've travelled with, I think, nearly my whole journey with God. And I've, I've never really felt like I've cracked it, I've really understood it. It says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We have a knowledge of the, of the Holy One here laid out before us. Ten simple commands that not one of us can keep. So what do we do with the fear of God? For me, again, you know, why don't I want to stand and look at God as judge? Because that actually means swallowing the fact that I should be fearful of him at some point, in some way, that what I have done before him is a disgrace. It is punishable by death. That's sober judgment. Recognising the glory and authority that God has. It's really uncomfortable. And just in case we're not so sober, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Sorry, guys, no wriggle space. You know what it's a bit like? It's a bit like going and buying a telly and uh, you get to the, to, the, uh, to the store and they have the big wall of all the different tellies and they have the one that's on special, you know, the, the big 75-inch one that you can't afford and they've got the boxes there and you load it. You go, oh, I'm going to load it up, put it on the trolley and you're heading down towards the, the, the front of the store and you see that the security card's gone. You know what, I could just wander straight out through there. Nobody would know the difference. <laughs> How often do we deceive ourselves? <laughs> no such thing as cameras. Out you go. Nobody's recognised anything. I've got away with it scot-free. I'm loading up the telly into the back of the, te- of the, the car. Lucky I bought the carnival. <laughs> In she goes. And there's a tap on my shoulder. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Came back from coffee break. I'm stuffed. He's caught me. And before the judge, what can I say? <laughs> But I'm a good bloke. Look, I am a good bloke. I don't normally do this. (laughs) I've never done this before. (laughs) It was a wild moment. I didn't mean to do it. Look at all my good works over here. (laughs) Diminished capacity. 
Any other excuses for me? <laughs> I'm left with nowhere to hide. I've got one plea. She made me do it. <laughs> she made me do it. Would any of those excuses be reasonable before the judge? Why wouldn't they be reasonable? I am a good bloke. Look at all the good things I do all the time. Why is that not a reasonable excuse? The horse is bolted. <laughs> the horse is bolted. It doesn't matter how much good stuff I do, I did the bad stuff. One doesn't outweigh the other. That's not the way it works. For a just judge sitting before you, he can't just go, oh, yeah, you're, you're right, you're a good bloke. I'm not going to charge you for that. That wouldn't be justice for the store owner. Everybody would be taking tellies every day of the week. Big California. <laughs> Only if they're $9.99, though, I believe. <laughs> you don't get that reference? Okay, in California, if you steal stuff under $1,000, it's a misdemeanour and you don't get charged. <laughs> so this is what they're doing to fix their street people problem. Ah, it's just, yeah, it's my, mindless flicking through YouTube. <laughs> and um, I saw a, a mindless YouTube flicking. This one wasn't quite so mindless. It was a, a guy doing street witnessing, a Christian guy, and uh, he was talking to a Muslim guy. And the Muslim guy was offended by the fact that Christians remedy to our position before God is that Jesus died on the cross, that he took on our penalty. Our penalty is death. Our penalty is to be cast into the lake of fire. And that is what Jesus took on for us. And his objection was... It's too cheap. How will I ever be a good person if I don't have to do something for it? It's completely missing the point, isn't it? We're not a good person. Our history tells us that. We're broken. We're, we're doomed before God. We have no out. We have no excuse. We were caught with the telly in the back of the van doesn't matter how much good we do. It doesn't weigh out one against the other. That is not justice. What is justice is that the fine is paid. The penalty is taken on and paid for. And that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross for us. So that's the legal remedy to our situation of being guilty before God judge. 
that the price has been paid for us. How do we take on that legal remedy? God doesn't just apply it to everyone. We still have a responsibility because we have this crazy thing that God gave us called free will. We can actually say, thanks but no thanks to that. I don't want it. I'll go go, uh, hang out in the lake of fire. (laughs) And crazily... That is what we see our world doing. The Bible is really, really clear that there's this thing called repentance. For repentance, we need to own our guilt before God. In faith, we accept what has been paid for us. The beauty of the gift of Christ paying for our redemption to, to uh, save us from a place of eternal separation from God called the lake of fire, called hell. Is that we can accept it in faith, repent, and God deals with our sin. But without that recognition of our guilt, of God being judge and having that authority over us. The cross means nothing. The cross makes no sense. And that's why it's sometimes the the thing of needing to be really uncomfortable and to look upon the glory of who God is, the majesty of the firing throne of God, standing in judgment over all things gives us a complete picture of who God is. The law of sin and death is what we face. And it's as certain as the law of gravity. If we were in an aeroplane 20,000 feet above the ground, The doors open. Time to jump. Would you jump without parachute? No. Why would you not jump, Matt? Because there's this thing called terminal velocity. (laughs) What is it? 9.8 metres a second or something or other? So at that speed, at 20,000 feet, by the time you hit the ground, yeah, it's not the whole fall that hurts. Really interesting comment. Does that explain our lives? It's not the fall that hurts. So many of us go through life going, but the fall's not hurting. <laughs> In fact, it's quite pleasant. It's quite exhilarating. <laughs> I think that's what Adam and Eve felt when they first ate the fruit. Yeah, there's absolutely no way you would step out of that plane without the parachute. And today, we all sit in one of two places. 
We've either completely strapped on the parachute, we know where we're at, we're good, or we haven't. Let me start. If you haven't got the parachute on, today's the day. Put the parachute on. Today's the day to repent before, before Jesus. Accept the legal remedy for your situation and solve the legal status of the law of sin and death in your life. For the majority of us, we've got the parachute on. Who do we know that hasn't? What a sobering thought. As certain as it is to step out of that aeroplane without a parachute, to go splat on the ground, the people around us that haven't accepted Jesus into their life face the splat of the law of sin and death. That is horrendous. Yeah, I think we can so easily go on in life just allowing us to be numb and dull to that. My encouragement is today, as you contemplate the twisted trees of life, the splat of the law of gravity, that you would look at the sin and death that is over those that we know and love. And again, go back to our God who loves them, cares for them, and say, Lord, help me not to just be numb about all this. Help me to get on my knees and actually sort out a plan on how your strategy is for them to move their situation before you. What is my part in this? What is it that you're asking me to say, me to do, to work around this? Another little video that I was watching was um, some teaching by Derek Prince upon um, talking about demonization of people. And uh, he said one of the things that he'd seen, it was just one, one little scenario, was people that talked incessantly and would just have these circular conversations and you could never seem to go anywhere with them, were so often people who were being tormented by a demon or demons. Do you know anybody like that? Is that the strategy that you need to actually go, Jesus said, if I'm going to steal something from the strong man's house, we first tie up the strong man and then we can take his possessions. And that is the, the very fact of everybody who lives in the strong man's house are those that are under the, the law of sin and death. Do we need to be try, tying up some strong men over people's lives? to set them free so that they can stop incessantly talking and settle themselves 
enough to be able to hear the good news of Jesus so dearly loving them and wanting freedom for them. That's just one example of how the enemy captures people. But that would be my encouragement today is to go, what is it that the enemy has done to capture this person that you love, that you feel that God's leading you to? And say, how do I tie up the strong man over their life? What is it that you want of me to do, Lord, to um, set this person free, to be part of this journey with this person, to bring freedom? It's only with his wisdom, his insight, his leading, because it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yep. But it's not the work of the Holy Spirit alone. He says we're part of that journey. Let's pray. Lord God, it's um, sometimes hard to, to look upon the realities of, uh, of what we see in life. What your word teaches us is that all things will come to an end and uh, there's one of two outcomes. One's absolutely glorious of your presence, the pure flowing stream of life, the blessed fruit of the tree of life, the healing of its leaves. The other is horrendous that you let people actually have their way of wanting to be apart from you. And that is such a horrendous thing that it is described as burning eternally in the lake of fire. Lord, we are so often too comfortable. Lord, help us to, to uh, be moved with compassion for those that are around us, that are lost, that are far from you, that stand so clearly damned as guilty. Lord, help us to, to, to be uh, sober about our own place, that that, that too was us but by your grace you have set us free, that you have redeemed us with your blood. Lord, help us to be excited about the treasure that that is, that it would bubble up in us, that you'd pour that out in our lives as the, uh, the well of your spirit of life flowing from us into the lives of those around us. Just as we sit and, uh, and wonder at the gloriousness of your, your authority and your might. We ask for, for that name of the person that it is that you want us to be moved toward. 
who is it that you've already been working in their heart? And uh, Lord, we we acknowledge that the the work of of um, salvation is that of your Holy Spirit. But as sons and daughters, you are uh, you enable us to be your hands and feet, and sometimes your tongue to say say, "Come back! Don't step over that ledge." Help us to call out and say you cannot step out of this plane without the parachute. Stir up in us a new freshness, an opportunity to speak of who you are to those around us, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.